Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. I had a tree stump. Halfway up, they had this tree stump there that that was, if I had taken the tree stump out, it would have taken half the neighbour's backyard out as well. So I had to cut it on the boundary line and with a chainsaw. And I was up there for three days cutting cutting the, the tree stump uh, with a chainsaw. Lucky workplace health and safety weren't there because that would have been a, would not have been a good sight. This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Chan Shum and in this episode, we're back with Phil Fidel, the Director of PV Properties. From struggling beginnings and modest profits on impulse property decisions, he's now a triumph developer with six completed projects with two profiting and astonishing $1 million each. Join us as we explore his incredible journey in property development. After a thrilling career in the corporate world, Vidal started to lose the joy he once had for this career path, prompting him to embark on a quest for greater fulfillment. This journey led him to the exciting realm of property development. For me, it was like I, I'd become the global manager. I, I just started losing, I started losing the joy in in the corporate world. I, I was losing the, the joy of the job, um, and I was craving. I was spent quite a long time looking for a business to buy, uh, to buy something and and maybe an engineering company and and take that and grow that further. I had a look at some uh, some of them and went through the process of, of doing due diligence on them um, only to not, not, not follow through with it because it just wasn't really what I was looking for and uh, and I picked up on property development. I thought this is something that I really enjoy doing. Uh, I, I enjoyed the building and construction side of things so I really wanted to stay there and it was something that I'd always had an inkling to get into. So in the early 2000s or mid-2000s, I started studying and reading up and 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 then 2010, I bought my first development site um, and I land banked that for four years and that, and that was my first development in 2014 to 15. I turned that from a, um, a single house into three townhouses. Inspired by his carpentry background, Fidel decided to delve into the realm of townhouse developments, marking the beginning of his property development journey. It was because I like, I mean, I've built townhouses before as a carpenter and joiner. I knew them, I understood townhouse, I understood the building side of things. So that's what led me down that path to begin with. Um, I got involved with a, with a guy called Michael Yardney um, and he, he does a lot of um, uh, an armchair development. So you can basically become an armchair developer. 
I didn't want to be an armchair developer. I wanted to be the developer. So I, I spent time with Michael and did his courses and followed him and followed and spent had meetings with them and they helped me buy this first lot. Um, and then I spent the rest, spent the, the four years while I was land banking, just working out how I'm going to put townhouses on there. And, and uh, at the time, Michael, it was 2012, they pulled out of Queensland, they weren't doing a lot in Queensland because of the downturn. Um, but I kept it going. I kept thought, well, I want, I want this to happen. So I kept pursuing, pursuing it. Um, and, and then just slowly but surely pulled it all together. Um, found the right, found a town planner that, that was really helpful. Um, he was incredibly good um, and a good architect uh, to, to, for the product. Uh, and then just made lots of mistakes while I was doing it. Lots and lots of mistakes, but ended up bringing it, bringing the, pulling the project off. And we made, you know, on that first one, uh, we owned one of the townhouses almost outright. Excellent. That's really good. And where, where was this again, this property? This was in Camp Hill. Camp Hill. Oh, so it's in, in Brisbane. Excellent. In Brisbane, yeah. Fidel discusses the DEA approval process he navigated for that project and highlights the crucial contributions of a skillful architect and town planner in facilitating the process. That was 2013 to 2014. We went through the DA, DA approval process, got the architect involved and, uh, and the town planner. They were the two key key people for me. Um, and then they helped me through a lot of the process. They were, they were fantastic. Uh, I was winging it. Again, every, just because I don't know it doesn't mean I don't go ahead with it. I, I wing it and I, I find the solutions. I find the answers that I need. Yeah, it's just really interesting because I was just thinking like when you land bank it, even though it's only four, it's four years, which is still a relatively reasonable short time, but um, we, we kind of know as developers, it's still going to take it between 12 to 18 months depending on which council to actually just get approvals and et cetera. So there's a lot of time that you just got to have to wait. Unfortunately, there's nothing more you can do um, until then. But I, I'm assuming that house still had rental income. Yeah, they did. I did. I had rental income there for quite some time, well, for most of the time. Uh, I ended up letting the tenants go a little bit too early in the end because it took that long to get the house, get the DA through. Um, I, I was expecting a little bit too quick, so you know I had about six months of uh, the house being empty without income coming in. Didn't hurt me too much, but it was just would have been nice to have had that income for that little bit longer. Following the successful sale of his project, Vidal briefly re-entered the corporate realm engaging in substantial road contract projects. But then when I finished that, I went back into the corporate world and just kept working. Went, spent some time in Yamba um, and went down there and uh, lived there for two years while I was working on the Will Google to Ballander upgrade and doing contracts procurement there. Oh, nice. Yeah, doing some of the major contracts for road sealing and road paving. And what was the reason for jumping back into corporate at that point? Was it? Look, it was probably more... Probably more relationship, uh, you know, personal relationship with my wife. Which it was more comfortable for her for me to be in a role, earning an income like that, than for me to be in business where, where in property development, the money is so hard. It's the cash flow is terrible. Yes, <laughs> and you're trying to bring cash into to keep things going. It's not not an easy task. So. No, it's always big chunks, you know, and sometimes it might come in, but more than likely, nine times out of ten, it's always going to be delayed. 
<laughs> Absolutely, yeah. So we kind of, as developers, expect that all the time. <laughs> it's a real juggling, real juggling uh, act in, in, in prop development. So, And look, she would have liked me to stay in that, and in the end I couldn't do it anymore. I, I, I'd... Um, I come back from from Yamba back to Brisbane. Um, spent nine months with uh, Hastings Deering doing procurement there, with with Hastings Deering in their cat equipment. Um, great organisation to work for. Beautiful people there. Um, and um, but I just didn't have a heart. I didn't have my heart wasn't wasn't in it anymore. I needed to get out and work for myself. And in the end, I just said, look, I've got to do it. I was out of work for a bit because I was made redundant um, in between hand between times and trying to find work as a, a guy in his fifties was not an easy task. So it was a it was like it convinced me that I needed to go back and I needed to go out and work for myself. Yeah. Make my own way in the world, yeah. Vidal's venture into property development took a significant turn when he became part of Rob Flux's property developer network, ultimately guiding him from a scattered learning approach to a focused and successful strategy. Well, I joined um, Rob Flux's property developer network. I did a few more before him. I did um, Mark Rolton's Conclave. I've done a, uh, so I've done some study. I, I bought um, bought some manuals from other from other educators out there um, and just kept teaching, learning and learning as much as I could about property development. Yes. In the end, I, I, I'd done Mark Rolson's Conclave, kind of home that weekend and thought, great, it was a great course, it was great, but something missing out of it for me. Uh, I needed more um, and I needed someone who could actually be, be have my back as I'm going through the process. Uh, and so I joined Rob Flux's group, uh, and I, he got me really focused. I was, I suppose, what I was, I was a little bit too too scattergun approach before Rob, and I was looking at subdivisions, I was looking at townhouse sites, and 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 I wasn't really settling down on anything, so I wasn't achieving anything. I wasn't getting any, any I wasn't winning any projects or, or securing any projects, any sites, I should say. Um, Rob got me focused. He, he narrowed me right down, and I focused on just one specific strategy. Um, still on subdivisions, but just one into twos, one into threes, and that's all I focused on. And then I got my, I've picked up my first project, and then my second, and then my third, and then my fourth, and then my fifth, and and you know, and it just kept on snowballing from there. It's amazing what focus does, isn't it? <laughs> it was just getting get your mind. And when you have a scattergun approach, it's so hard to secure anything. When you said scattergun, what, what do you mean? Like where you're applying for different types of deals all the time? Exactly. Yeah. It was like a, a deal will come my way. I'll be going, oh, that looks interesting. I'll try and I'll do a feasibility on that. Then I, a deal on another style of development would come or another strategy of development. And I would look at that. And I think, oh, I'll try that. And I'll do a feasibility on that. But I, I could never make any of them work. I could never, and I could never find the right price to to, to secure these projects. One of the things I've learned too in this pro whole process, you, you turn over so many sites before you find one that works. Yeah, very true. One that works for me won't work for another developer. One that works for another developer won't, you know, doesn't work for me, and and so on. 
So it, it, two developers will have two different mindsets and two different views on how to look at a, pro, a site, and they'll see it differently. Um, and you, know, you just you just turn them over. I turn them over quickly. It's really important that you look at it and find reasons not to do it. Um, and if you can't find any reasons not to do it, then you, you take it to the next level. Yeah, that's excellent. And I think that's that's the it's like filtering. Like if you don't filter anything, especially on the internet nowadays, if you don't filter anything, you end up just getting bombarded with all this information and you want to become overwhelmed, scattered, and then you go, What am I doing? <laughs> and, then, and then you just don't do anything, then you procrastinate and then you go, Oh gosh, this is too hard, then you throw it in. <laughs> the overwhelm creeps in and all this and so getting getting that focus was so important and, and so um beneficial for me that really really it dragged me right back to something small and then i now i just i can pick a site i can look at pretty much any site and and be confident in, in going down the path and, and if it works the numbers work great i'll put the offer in if it doesn't work my offer doesn't go in i don't even i don't even put an offer in if i don't think it's going to work after concluding his corporate career Fidel plunged himself back into the property realm, taking on a challenging Camp Hill subdivision project fraught with obstacles and hurdles. That was um, nerve-wracking, um, you know. When when I when I got the when the uh, sellers came back and said yes, we'll you know, we accept your price, and, and I went, oh shit, now what? <laughs> it means it's real now. <laughs> it was a splitter in in Camp Hill, and then another another Camp Hill project. You must love that suburb, something. <laughs> it's been good for me. Um, and then, you know, I had to pull the house down and go through all that whole process um, and then sell the land and then COVID hit. Um, sales dropped, a uh, fellow fell through. Um, we ended up selling one one of the lots at our uh, FISO price, but the other one we sold it for about 60000 less. So that reduced our profitability down so much. Um, so, and unfortunately, with the agreement with my uh, with my joint venture partner, because of the agreement structure, I took the hit on that. So my income out of that was really small, um, twenty three thousand out of my first project, which hurt. But but my second project made up for it. Tell us about the second one. The second one was that the one in Baden where we had a very steep block of land. I had to put the the stormwater line in for the for the. The, the land up above, um, and I had to dig that out by hand. I had a tree stump halfway up. They had this tree stump there that that was. But if I had taken the tree stump out, it would have taken half the neighbour's backyard out as well. So I had to cut it on the boundary line and with a chainsaw. And I was up there for three days cutting cutting the, the tree stump uh, with a chainsaw. Lucky workplace health and safety weren't there because that would have been a, would not have been a good site, but I managed to do it, um, and and I and finally we got the tree stump out of the way, and then I dug the rest by hand. Holy moly! How big was this tree stump? Because now I'm trying to understand. Three days is a lot of work. It was probably 1,200 millimeters high, but out of the ground, and then I had to get right down in around it. Uh, but then it was like about. 800 millimetres um, in diameter. That's huge. So it was a big tree. Um, most of it had been cut away by, by the arborists um, so I could put the drain out there. Um, but I still had to get that half that stump out uh, and I had to cut it along the boundary 
uh, and I went through 12, 12 chainsaw blades, try, trying to get through it all. I would have imagined. <laughs> and you couldn't even get any machinery in there besides the chainsaw? Could not. The, the biggest machine I could get in was an eight-tonner, and the eight-tonner could only just touch the, um, the, the tree stump. So I couldn't even, if it, if it pulled it out, it, it, it would have pulled out the whole thing and, and half the neighbor's block backyard, which would not have been a good thing. I'm always just trying to picture how it looks like. I had planks around it um, to, 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 to stand on, but no, 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 no handrails, no scaffolding. Look, it was, it was like, get in, get it done, make it happen. Vidal delves into the formidable challenges he encountered during his second project and the determination he summoned to overcome them. We had some some um, frightening bits in this one. I was I'd, I'd already invested forty thousand dollars of my own money in this one, um, and then and then only to be told that we went through uh, Risk Smart and it got knocked back in Risk Smart because of, there was water, there was overland flow on the road, um, and then I found out that the overland flow was eight hundred millimeters deep. And I went, oh my God, how am I going to make this work? Uh, and I started having little, little heart attacks, little mini heart attacks. Oh, palpitations. <laughs> I went and had a chat to a couple of different town planners. We, we, I talked about it and we, we realized that it was, it was code accessible. Um, went through the, went, resubmitted it through the process and within a month it was passed. It was, the DA was approved. That worked out well then. Yeah, because there were already houses upstream from this that, up, up the road that were, would have gone through the same and they and, and they were all, all all approved and so on so so the the block itself was dry it was just the road that had the overland flow on it after the break we'll delve further into Phil Fidel's thrilling property journey exploring a unique agreement he forged to acquire a property when I met the owners, they um, they wanted a million dollars for it. My, my budget was 900000 to to purchase and they wanted a million. He unveils a startling incident when a builder attempted to charge him an exorbitant sum for a project. He had 30% markup because he didn't know whether the prices would stay the same or not. Or And you know what? I don't want to pay that 30%. That's, that's it's ridiculous. He imparts valuable insights he has learned along his property journey. Every hurdle that comes up, there's a solution to every problem that comes along. And that's next. I'm Tyron Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. Vidal shares a memorable story of his pursuit of a property beyond his budget and the unconventional agreement he forged with the property owners to make the purchase. There was an existing house there that, that I needed to renovate a little bit, paint it up, make it look tidy at all, make it look really nice. But the deal was interesting. When I met the owners, they um, they wanted a million dollars for it. My, my budget was 900000 to to purchase and they wanted a million. And I said, so I said, look, I'm, I'll go away and I'll come back and talk about it. I'll see what come up with the strategy. I came back and I said to them, look, I could get you your million dollars but you need to stay in the deal all the way till, till the very end when I sell the properties. And the sale process is where you'll get your money. Um, and we, they said, they, you know, we talked a bit about it and they wanted them, the, for them, the important thing was the million dollars, the million dollar mark. 
They didn't care how long then. <laughs> they didn't care how long or how, well, what it was going to take. They just they wanted that million dollars. That was their that was their thing. So we we agreed on that. And we, and they they agreed on yeah okay we'll stay in the deal. So I started putting some contracts together. Um, tried an REIQ contract that was special conditions that was too too difficult to get their head around. So we, we my solicitor and myself we put together an option agreement. Oh, okay. And the option agreement. Um, um, we talked a bit about how the land would, how it will sell, etc., and, and what the price points would be. Um, and then they came back to me and said, "But what if you get more than what you think they're worth? You know, what if you, what if you sell for more?" And I said, "Well, I thought, oh, here we go now. Well, how am I going to deal with this?" Um, so I agreed. I said, "Look, all right. So if I, th- this is the price point that I think I can sell each property for. If I get more than that, we'll split the extra 50-50. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, so we we agreed to split the extra fifty fifty, um, and and we did. I got a lot more. I got an extra eighty seven thousand dollars more than what I thought I would for the project. So I made two hundred. I was wrapped. I, after all my costs, I'd made because uh, I paid for all of the, the development costs. They didn't pay for anything. I paid. I paid for all the DAs and I had to borrow. I borrowed money at forty percent interest on that project. <laughs> You should have been talking to you should have been talking to me. I would have got you much less of that. <laughs> one alone was forty percent. The other one was twenty percent. Uh, I liked the twenty percent loan. That was much better. Yes, yes. It was unsecured funds, uh, and they were they were just on the strength of me delivering a project and making it work. So it was it was you know these those that's high risk money that sort of thing, and it wasn't a great deal. It was like one hundred and twenty grand that I borrowed. I paid all that back with the interest, which was great. And in the scheme of things, it wasn't a lot because it was like five or ten thousand dollars for one of them and uh, fifteen for the other one. So it wasn't big money. Um, and and then I um, yeah I sold it. and I made two hundred twenty thousand profit out of it. Fantastic. Which is great. It was it was it's a great project and more than what I expected. I expected to make about a hundred hundred thousand out of it and made a lot more. So I was pretty happy with that. That's great. How long was that project for? That went for about six months. That's pretty fast. <laughs> the one thing that really hit me in the end, or got me in the end, was the um, was the plant ceiling. That took a lot longer than I expected. Uh, that took eight weeks, and that that the the sellers were really stressed out about it. I was stressed out about it. The council, I couldn't run, I couldn't hurry the council along. Uh, I tried to. I got my solicitor to write to them and see if they could hurry, if we could help and make things go quicker. Big mistake on my part. Never do that again. <laughs> yep, they end up uh, ignoring it and just making things longer. So, <laughs> so I just pulled my head in and, and let the process take its take its course. Vidal proudly reflects on his remarkable track record at PV Properties, recounting the six profitable projects he has successfully completed, including million dollar triumphs and strategic makeovers. Um, successfully completed uh, six projects. Just yeah, six projects. Um, two in Barden, um, uh, two the two in in Camp Hill, one in Wynnum, uh, Cannon Hill, and one in Rochdale South. Um, yeah, so there and we you know profitability on on one of the other Barden ones was over a million dollars. One in Rochdale South was over a million. Um, the one in Cannon Hill was three hundred thousand. Um, so they were they were really profitable projects. They were selling at the right time in the market. Um, now we've got uh, 
a splitter in in Brighton on Flinders Parade on, on the water. Um, that's a, and a, one in Cooparoo, which is a um, subdivision and a high-end home and a renovation of the existing home. Um, we've got a subdivision in Waterford West, uh, 17 lots, which is in for DA at the moment. Wow, that's big. I've got a six lots in Cornubia, but I'm holding that at the moment. I'm turning that one into a childcare centre. So that's that. That'll be that's a really good one. And then we've got another project we're doing due diligence on at the moment, which is up in Kenmore Hills for further sixteen lots. Uh, but we're looking at that one and to turn that one into townhouses instead. So I think that would be more favourable with council. Despite the challenges Vidal has already shared, he emphasises that the most challenging moment he encountered in his property development journey was one that occurred in the past year. I think the the the, the hardest one or the, the most challenging one has been the last 12 months with the high inflation and construction costs. Oh, okay. Tell me about that. I mean, I knew there was construction cost rises coming and I was monitoring all of that. But what I... The, the build prices that were coming back were just astronomical for what we were looking at, way like almost double what what I was what I'd previously built, um, and they were for the same sort of product, and they were coming in incredibly high. So we've had to do a lot of work and delay the projects. So the delaying the projects has cost us money in in interest, holding costs. So that's that's been expensive. Um, and and it's you know we've had to written refinance as well. So the the main lender, the senior debt, they wanted they decided that, that after twelve months they wanted out. Fair enough. So I had to refinance those as well. So that's costly. Um, uh, those sorts of things have been probably the it's been the toughest year because of high inflation, the market turning, um, and making sure that the projects stay profitable. That's, that's the key is, is, is that you keep working them and keep working them until, uh, until such time as you bring them back on, on track and, and they remain profitable. Vidal shed light on a valuable lesson he learned from this challenge, underscoring the significance of selecting the right builder to collaborate with. You know, the interesting thing I found is that builders are so unsophisticated here in, in Brisbane in the main. There are a couple, we found one that or two that are really good, um, but they, they don't they don't have a handle on their pricing. They don't, they, they just, they get a price from a, from a supplier and just pass it on and they don't check it. They don't, they don't assess it for its, for, for, for a sensibility or not, um, but they just pass it on and then, and that, the prices just go through the roof based on that. So we've been lucky we've found a builder uh, for our Brighton properties that has a real good grasp of his suppliers and great relationships with them, and he knows how to get the right price out of them. So that's brought the prices for the build right back to where we need it to still be so to make the project profitable. And that's what you need. You've got to work with someone who has the experience, has the knowledge and also is willing to do it because otherwise you lose business or they probably don't care because or a lot of the builders probably don't care because there's other people who need to get the things done. Yeah. And and look, and one of one builder we had, he had 30% marker. Wow. We, we found that out by interrogating him and understanding and he had 30% marker because he didn't know whether the prices would stay the same or not or and you know what? I don't want to pay that thirty percent. That's that's it's ridiculous. It's you know, that should be 
that's my risk, not his. Exactly. And then you don't know, you know, until you sell the, the things, whether or not you're still going to get that margin. So you're taking a lot of the risk as well too. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's my income at risk. I mean, this is my business, so I need to make sure that I need to I need to manage my my lenders, all my lenders, my JV partners. Um, I need to manage their risk, and I need to manage my risk because they all get paid first. I'm the last person to get paid, uh, so I want to make sure that there's something left for me too. Fidel uncovers his most profound aha moment from his journey, a revelation that has transformed his perspective and filter his determination to achieve even greater success. It's just how much you can actually achieve the, um, when you when you don't don't believe you can, or maybe the the, the, the you know the, the everything's stacked up against you, but you just keep going. And and it's that the aha if I can just just don't stop. Never stop. Every hurdle that comes up, there's a solution to every problem that comes along. Um, I may, it may not sound like an aha moment, uh, but it's it's probably the biggest thing that I've that I've come through in in my whole life. I've just you just keep going, even with the biggest challenges. I, I I totally agree with you. That's so important because sometimes if you just give up, <laughs> that really does mean that you give up. But if you keep going, you'll find a way. You find a way. There's there's a solution to every single problem out there. Vidal reflects on the impact of meticulously studying property development manuals and integrating valuable lessons from his experience working in larger engineering companies on his property journey. Then Matt Jones, I bought his um, manuals, property development manuals. Just back in 2017, I bought his manuals. Um, I've re- re- reviewed a lot. I've, done, I've just researched a lot over the years and just read everything I could about property development to learn as much as I can about it. And then from there, you've taken a lot of the knowledge and just applied it. When I worked in these big um, engineering uh, global companies, a lot of the the learnings from those organisations too. It's like um, one of the great mantras I found I felt was a great mantra from Sinclair Nightmares was slow and steady wealth creation. Don't rush it. Just manage. Make sure you you do what you can manage. You only do what you can manage. And your slow and steady wealth creation, that's sustainable. That means that you can build build wealth and create a solid foundation going forward. Fidel shares the advice he believes would have been most beneficial for his younger self a decade ago, emphasizing the importance of perseverance and belief in one's ability to achieve success. Just keep going. Keep going with your plan because you'll, you'll get there. Just because I've always been, um, cert, you know, when, I, when I've achieved something, I know 10 years ago, I, once I got to a, a new role, I thought, all right, what's my next, what's my next journey? I didn't, I didn't just sit there uh, and, and sit in that new role or that new job and enjoy it. I thought, right, well, what's my next one that, can I, that I can achieve? So I've always been, um, and, and but back then I probably worried a bit whether I would achieve a lot of the things that I ended up achieving. And so I'd say to myself, just keep going, you'll do it, you'll get there. Fidel shares his enthusiasm for the upcoming milestones in his property development journey and the ambitious goals he aims to accomplish. You know, my son's in the business. I want the business to grow further. Um, I'm looking for a partner to come into the business um, to help help with the growth of the because we're ready, we're prime for for, for more growth. Um, and um, you know, I can see big things for us. And eventually, our target is to is to grow the business to to 100 million in GRV. 
Um, and that's that's primarily so that I can then pull back and, and semi-retire. I don't think I'll ever fully retire. I'll be around to annoy my son for a long time. Um, but uh, yeah, so I, I just want to have a business that, that's sustainable um, and, and, and for the long term. Um, and something that my son can carry on and it's a leave a legacy um, for him and, and for my family. How much of your success do you think has been because of the skill, hard work, intelligence, and how much do you think you would have been because of luck? I think there's a mixture of everything in it. I think you put yourself out there, luck, luck comes your way. But if you work hard and you just keep going, you, you, know, you do make your own luck. Yeah. You really do make it, make it yourself by, by putting it and just going for it and not stopping. Um, yeah, so, and I think a lot of it just determination, just sheer determination to keep going in, in the face of, of people or, or events or circumstances, uh, putting walls up all the time and, just, and just, just going around that wall or over it or under it or whatever it needs to, needs to be. Thank you to Phil Fidel, our guest on this episode of Property Investory. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.